Welcome to the Strut South Podcast. Today on the show, we have Scott Ellis. He hails from the great Sunshine State. He's really well known in the turkey world, but today we're going to talk to him about whitetails in Florida. Florida is a very unique state, especially when it comes to whitetails, and we hit on a lot of different things. And before we start the show, I wanted to give you guys some updates. From here on out, the episodes are going to come out every Friday morning. I will go and upload them on Thursday nights. That way, Friday morning, they should be there. And we're going to be on iTunes, Anchor, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. And we're going to start bringing you episodes every week. So you guys go and subscribe, and let's get to the show. All right, guys, welcome to the show. Today we have Scott Ellis, the one and only, the <laughs> master of disaster for turkeys. <laughs> um, what's up, Scott? Hey, Ryan, what's going on, brother? Glad to be here, man. I appreciate you having me on. Oh man, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you took the time to get on here. I'm I'm excited to talk with you, man. Most people most people probably you probably need no introduction, especially when it comes to the turkey world. Um, <laughs> well, thanks. But I don't think I don't think most people realize that you're you're big outdoorsman too, uh, and for whitetails and everything. Um, That's but right. yeah, I'll just I'll let you go ahead and I'll let you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself and. Tell us what you got going on and all that good stuff. Yeah, man. Well, just uh, getting ready for deer season here in Central Florida right now. Um, our archery season kicks off September 15th. And um, unfortunately, it's about 470, 200 degrees Fahrenheit right now. And we'll continue to be that way in Florida, unfortunately, in the coming weeks and months for that matter. But it's a labor of love. I mean, you do your scouting. Um, you concentrate on food sources and um get in places that doesn't have water right now because florida is is literally about to become an island again i think <laughs> but um yeah there's a lot of water a lot of standing water so it's an easy way right now to find pinch points in places to identify travel routes because there's so much standing water at least in a lot of places i'm going to be hunting here in central florida but um yeah just get ready for deer season brother and uh still doing some competitive turkey calling Headed to Mississippi this weekend, as a matter of fact, to uh, to do the Mississippi Open and Friction and Owl. My good friend Shane Martinez and I, one of my Woodhaven pro staffers, and I are flying to Birmingham and going to go hit up en route to Mississippi, to West Point. I'm going to hit up the Mossy Oak store and, and then go call on, on Saturday and see if we can't win a little cash and maybe a plaque or something. But, but yeah, man, just keeping it real with the turkey and, and getting ready for deer season. That's it. Heck yeah! I heard, I saw that um, you guys are, are going to have a, a Florida State contest now. Um, well, it's coming back. Yeah, yeah. It um, it was it was literally non. <laughs> there was no interruptions for literally twenty five, thirty years probably, since I was calling when I called my first one in nineteen ninety two, and um, um, different. It it changed hands through the years and about two years ago Lou Hobner had his last run of it he's the gentleman in Florida he's the president of the Wakiva Strutter uh, NWTF chapter um, which is a sidebar one one of the most popular banquets or most successful banquets in NWTF history um, but Joe, but Lou I'm sorry Joe Lou took it over and um, did great things with the contest for several years after basically the state chapter relinquished it to Joe, to Lou I keep calling him Joe to Lou 
And um, he he ran it for six or seven years, and then he let it go. He just via email let me know, hey, I can't do it. Things are too much going on. And I understood that, and so I actually took it over for one year, which would have been 2016. And um, it's obviously I've got a lot going on as well, and and it just wasn't in the cards for me to continue it. But we put on a great contest, and then last year in 17 it went it, it went away. And um, now I got wind that there was a contest going to be held up in the Panhandle, up in your neck of the woods. Actually, you should come on down. But um, that there, in Bonifay, the Bonifay Outdoor Expo that's going to be held September 8th and 9th, I believe that's the weekend, September 8th and 9th. But on the mm-hmm. 8th, on that Saturday, they're having a sanctioned contest. So I got a hold of the people that are um, conducting the contest, and I uh, said, guys, y'all should make this the Florida State because – there's nobody else having it right now. Nobody has any plans of taking it over. And if you are going to do this contest and then continue to to um, conduct it year after year, then you can make this the Florida State, and you make a lot of people happy. And plus, probably get a lot of Alabama Georgia callers, I would think, to show up to the thing. Um, so yeah. yeah, September 8th, the Florida State com- is coming back. Sorry to get so long-winded about that long story, but yeah, it's coming back, and uh, and we're pretty excited about it. Shane and I are going to road trip up. Maybe old Simon Ellis is going to road trip up there on Friday and uh, give it all we got on Saturday and see what happens, see how it shakes out. But Awesome. Yeah, I, I saw that, that you – I saw where you had posted about it, about the Florida State. And I, as soon as I saw it, I'm like – and I saw where it was. I was like, man, I need to go to that. And then I was like – it said September 8th. And I was like, oh, I was like, that's opening day of our archery season. Oh wow, yeah, that's y'all's art. Y'all open a week before we do usually in Georgia. Yep. yep. Yeah. So it worked out just right. Yeah, if it if it were any other year, I would probably be going. But this year in particular, uh, one of my buddies he's got a he's got a pretty nice buck. Probably probably going to be over one hundred and fifty inches. So awesome. I'm going to go with him, and we're going to try to film it. Hopefully we can get him on opening day. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's you know, kind of that we were going to talk about deer hunting and kind of got on the turkey subject, which is easy to do when it's so prevalent in our lives, both of our lives for that matter. But I do love to whitetail hunt with a bow. I just, I mean, it is right there with turkey. Not quite, but it is right there with turkey. And I've introduced my son Jake, as a lot of people know Jake probably, Jake Ellis too. He He's quite a little deer slayer, and he killed his first buck um, this season, or well, I'm sorry, in last season, and he killed five does one starting at six, and now at 11 he killed his first buck. So, uh, and he has got the bow bug real bad. He's rifle hunted all these years. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't bow hunt that little, that young, and he didn't want to shoot a crossbow or anything. So um, he's now 12, and he's shooting about 50 pounds with his mission craze and black eagle arrows. And he is slinging them good out to 40 yards pretty consistently. Probably, probably scaling back to 30 yards. But, but you mentioned that big buck, and I guess we could just start talking deer and, and Florida deer hunting and South Georgia deer hunting for that matter. And um, we too have on a piece of public ground that I cannot disclose the information about <laughs> is a a deer that's going to push 140 inches. And in the bachelor group that he's running with, there's two other bucks that are 100 inches plus. Which is fantastic for a Seminole whitetail in Central Florida. That's a, that's some good bucks. And my gosh, 140 inches is is definitely going to make the state book. I think uh, I think Florida's only 115 to make the state book. I believe it is. So this is this is a bruiser. Um, he looks to be five and a half, six and a half years old. And um, 
somewhat patternable, but the problem is it's it's only four or five every four or five days that they're, this group is coming through this area. Um, so we're we're trying to do our best with trail cameras right now, and uh, it's a lot of ground that this deer is covering. And uh, the only thing that we've got going for us is the fact that the the water is so high is that there are really good pinch points that these deer are having to travel unless they're wading water, which they will do. There's some really um, easy areas to isolate where these deer are going to be traveling. So after that, it's just a matter of putting your time in the stand and, and waiting for them to walk by. Um, this ground that we're going to hunt, I don't think, you know, on a good day, you're going to probably see some deer, a few deer, but I don't think it's ever going to be where you sit like I have even in South Georgia and seen 15 deer in a sit. I don't know that it'll ever be like that, but it's going to be a place that I think if we put our time in, it's going to bear fruit, and it's going to be a, a nice deer, and it could potentially be a nice buck. And you can shoot does on this ground um, during during archery season. You can shoot does, so nothing wrong with getting a doe quick and getting some back traps in the freezer, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, well, speaking of what you were, you were kind of touching on a little bit, um, I think a lot of people – don't really understand how Florida works with whitetails. This, I mean, I've never hunted it, but I'm going to just go out on a limb and say it's probably one of the most difficult states to hunt whitetails. If if you're wanting to, you know, pattern the deer and figure out right in there and all this stuff, but um, let me touch on that I a little think, bit. Is it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you were talking about the rut. Um, it's it's so sporadic in the state of Florida, and to me and in all my research on whitetails, by, from a biological standpoint, the rut is driven by weather conditions as much as anything. As the seasons change and the and the cool weather builds and builds and builds and then kind of lingers, that's what kicks off the rut and keeps the does coming in. Florida, we don't have established seasons. We have spring, spring, summer, summer, <laughs> with a, with a hint right. of fall once in a while. You know, and that's Florida, um, and what that does is it causes the rut to be just absolutely as random and, and sporadic as you can imagine. I mean, where I, this particular place that we're going to be keying on this this fall, these deer predominantly rut in around Halloween. There's a pretty established rut. You were seeing some rut activity, but at the same time, you, you're hunting Florida. And you get a good cold front come through, and it and it drops from the from around 80, which is so common. And you get a good day with highs in the upper 50s, which is not completely uncommon, but just you know the warmer temps or, or precede take precedence more more times than not over the cooler weather. But when it hits, get in a stand because it, a if it's not those coming in because of the cooler weather, it's b they just get up on their feet and move so much more freely when it's cool like that because they're so used to having. A lot of their movement is nocturnal in Florida. One of the reasons that makes them really hard to hunt them is because it's so hot all the time. It's deer become nocturnal even without hunting pressure, which is we know what happens in anywhere else in the, in the country when hunting pressure starts occurring. The bucks get nocturnal real quick. They figure it out. They know when the guys are in the woods pattern, and they pattern the humans. And uh, so the rut can be just so sporadic and so random, it's really hard to um, to, to put any kind of pattern on them, as you said. Um the one thing we do have going for us is uh, is food sources, what I call sweet treats, I like to call. We do have a, such a variety of different, um, what again, what I call sweet treats, concentrated food sources, persimmons, muscadines, palmetto berries. Um, and, I mean, every place can have these things, but, but Florida, uh, blackberries is another one that we have on, the, on lots of briar bushes in Florida. And um, 
they'll have a blackberry. So there's a lot of places like that that you'll find that will concentrate um, deer based on those those one-off food sources because they can forage anywhere. You know, Florida is just a green. It's a it's subtropical. You know, I mean, there's always something green that a deer can browse on. And um, yeah, when you add those persimmons, blackberries, palmetto berries, all these other little sweet treats that kind of come in towards the end of summer, early fall, and on into fall, and then we have our acorn crop, which is we have lots of oak trees um, as well in Florida and in places. And this place I'm going to hunt has a ton of acorns if if they have a good season of acorns. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's another another food source that you can concentrate on in Florida that will pull deer. Um, and after, outside of that, yeah, like you said, man, we have a very diverse type of, of landscape here. I mean, for people that's never hunted it, and I doubt Florida's ever going to be a destination for whitetail hunting, but it is neat to talk about it because we have orange groves, we have cow pasture, we have live oak, beautiful live oak hammocks, we have hardwoods with hickories and sweet gums and oak trees, um, we have um, cypress heads that are phenomenal once the water drops and all that green vegetation starts growing, deer, deer will bed and feed and, and cypress heads a turn. Um, what else do we have? We have planted pines. We have palmetto flats. Um, it's just, you have literally every type of scenery that you or you know, from a landscape perspective than you can ever imagine. And, and each place hunts a little bit differently than the next place does. Um, all you can do at that point is identify what type of land you're going to be hunting, and then it's just going in the deer hunt 101. It's like anywhere else. Identify what places are going to be pinch points and what places are going to hold deer a little better than other place based on food sources, based on water, based on doe to buck ratio. You know what I mean? So um, it's just it's just so random in Florida that it makes it even harder than a lot of states. Like where you're at, you've got planted pines and, and some hardwood bottoms, if I would guess. Is that a sound about right, right from where you hunt pretty much? Yep. So, and you know, hunting deer and planting pines ain't no joke. Any, anywhere in the southeast, we could open this whole podcast up, Ryan, to just how much harder. No offense to any of our northern listeners right now and midwestern listeners, is how much harder it is to pattern and hunt deer in the southeast because there's anywhere they can bed and there's anywhere they can eat, and it's not concentrated as much as it is in the pockets and fingers of woods that they have in the Midwest, even you know, western Kentucky and north and northeast. You know, you go. Um, into, into New England area and New York and PA, that can be a lot harder deer hunt too because that's a lot of big woods. With, with there are some crop fields and stuff, you know, and, and fingers of woods that will isolate deer movement. But um, you get to the southeast and it's it's less prevalent. Unless you're on soybeans, like you got a lot of soybeans in, in Georgia, there are some crop fields. But if you're hunting any kind of um, timbered land, man, it is it's a it's a challenge to identify the patterns of these crazy deer, these crazy whitetails. So yeah. So that's that's what um I've I've heard a lot of people uh talk, talk about um hunting in the south, southeast in particular and um one the one thing that came to mind when you were talking about that was Mark Jury, he he talks he gets asked that question a lot and the answer he said, I mean of course they they've got some giants up there in Iowa. But mm-hmm. he said you know, the south is it's it's pretty much he said that's the reason the reason why is it's just there's so much more cover for the deer, and it, and it just makes it that much harder to to find isolate them. them. They're yep. there. They're there. It's just you just it's, it's harder to pattern them. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned Mark Drury, and in the same sentence, uh, I mentioned a great friend of mine, Steve Stoltz. You know, a renowned whitetail hunter. 
and we talk all the time, and we talk about how I have to hunt them down here. And I've hunted Kentucky and Illinois and Ohio. I've hunted numerous northern states, and I don't knock it because it's a blast to to watch a rut, a true rut, um, go and you know happen in front of you when you can get in the stand. Like last year, last two, three years, I've been in Western Kentucky, and I'm in love with Western Kentucky. And every time it did not fail. Now the big boys, I don't think were on their feet on any given one of these times. Last year they, it was the best movement I've seen. We I did have about a 150, 160 class buck. We were trying to get in front of us and it just didn't work out. That was the, one of the few bigger deer I've seen. Uh, I killed a putt right at Pope Buck in Kentucky two years ago. It's on my show Hunt Quest. Um, you can watch that on YouTube actually. But um, but yeah, I, I, I laugh and joke with my buddy that I hunt with with Sean Wright with Steve Stoltz and. And I told Stevie how much different it is. He's never hunted the southeast. He's hunted turkeys down here, but he's never deer hunted it. And when we started comparing notes about how, you know, after I've learned to hunt deer in the Midwest and up north in the north central part of the U.S., he's like, I don't think I'm going to be doing much whitetail hunting in the southeast. <laughs> I said, not when you can hunt up here and isolate the deer and, and see, you know, you find a block of woods a contiguous block of, of a finger, contiguous finger finger of woods interconnecting between crop fields, and you camp out, you, you steer clear of bedding areas, use the right wind, and nine out of ten times you're going to see a ton of deer movement. And it's it's a blast. It takes deer hunting. You know, how many times have you gone out set and set, and even in Georgia, much less Florida as well, anywhere in the southeast, South Carolina, Alabama, and you'll sit for three or four sets and just not see a deer. You might see one doe, you know. That's pretty rare. And, and up in the in the Midwest and, and North Central United States when you're deer hunting, especially during the rut, you will see some deer. I mean, I bet we saw no less than 12, 15 deer a day, and then sometimes 20, 25 deer a day when I hunt Western Kentucky. It's it's just amazing. So, yeah, it's a different yeah. deal down here hunting where we hunt them. Trying to pattern them is a lot. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. It's, which, which that makes it another – I think that's what makes it even more complicated is the fact that – because there is so much cover, they've got all the food they need in natural browse. That's right. I mean, and there's no in the, good nutrition, but it's it's there for them to eat for sure. That's right. Year year round, pretty much. Yeah, even in Georgia. I mean, y'all get frost and even snow once in a while, but but still, even during the winter months, there's a little bit more. It doesn't completely become desolate as bad as it does in the west and Midwest, but. And I guess, I mean, we're, we're rambling on about the comparison between the two areas geographically to hunt them, but, you know, a great way to uh, use – a great way to, to find some data on, on these deer is one running trail cameras, and that they're, they're even more critical to us down here, I think, than they can be for those places up north. I'm going to, I'm going to hunt Kentucky again in, in November, first week of November, usually right around prime time, and my buddy Sean Wright I'm going to be hunting with up there he just he works third shift now and 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 he usually likes to run cameras because that's just what he does. But I said I ain't worried about those cameras, Sean. Those deer are there. I ain't even worried about it. But dude, let's you put the stand sets up for the winds like we need, and we're gonna go hunting, and it don't matter. But now you come to the south and you start locating and isolating deer trails, or you happen to find a persimmon tree in the middle of the woods, and you or, or you uh, or you if you or if you run supplemental feed, you know that's your own prerogative. Uh, if you run supplemental feed and you run a camera, but that can definitely. I, I think people become a little bit too dependent on cameras, but I think they can definitely help pattern whitetails a little bit more in the south than, than needed up in the Midwest and the north. Um, would you agree to that? I, I agree. Um, I, just because it's 
because it is so much harder to find them. So if you've got an eye out there that can always see it at all times, I, I think that that's the right. best way to hone in on a big deer. Absolutely, absolutely. You you were talking about you were talking about earlier about um, how the landscape is with uh, Florida, and I think I think Florida's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of had it kind of has both types of landscape that we have up here. Um, it's got like the best of both worlds, it, de- depending on what kind of landscape you want to hunt. Pretty much, um, that's right. Very diverse. Do you, do you think that you uh, you see bigger, much more mature bucks in the thicker areas, or or what? I mean, where do you mm. think you see the most mature bucks as far as landscape wise? That's a, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. You've got my I'm my, 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 I'm filling the room full of smoke right now. Because I mean, I've I've seen them in in all areas. I'm I tend to think the places that hold the most mass, which would basically be your oak hammocks and your hardwoods, I probably see more mature deer. And maybe that's just because the numbers of deer there a little bit more in the cover and in the woods, um, as opposed to an orange grove or or hunting a pasture, edge of a pasture that butts up to a swamp or whatever. Um, maybe just because of the visibility, the ability to see the deer a little bit more, and the and the quantity of deer are usually a little higher in those type places. But I don't know that that's ever um, that that just all the diverse different land features have changed or, or changed how many you know mature bucks that I see from one to the next, um, other than just just being able to lay eyes on them. Yeah, I mean actually physically seeing the deer and seeing the movement a little bit better and the activity from the deer. Yep. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it would make it, it. It's kind of it's kind of odd, you know. You would think you would see more deer in Florida, even though I mean, the main reason you don't is, of course, temperature. But right, deer love transition areas, and Florida's got a very diverse um, landscape. So yeah, it's, well, it's, and that's no. You were talking about temperature, and like you, know, and we had touched on that too. And um, I think that's a great tip for anybody deer hunting in any part of the country, um, except for the extreme north where it gets just cold, cold. In the Midwest, went on into December when people are starting to move to food sources and hunting food sources. Um, in, in the southeast, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, Florida, even even North Carolina, although it gets, starts, to, starts to get a lot colder in, in North Carolina. South Carolina starts, and then North Carolina kind of does, but... But yeah, temperature cooldowns is just a huge factor for us in the southeast um, because y'all can warm up to 75, 80 degrees in Georgia in, in December just as we can. Not as common, but you know, even or even mid 70s, you know. And I think um, especially even after the rut, that's a prime time. If you see a good strong front coming through with three or four days of good cold weather, get your butt in deer stand. I think that gets the it gets. I know it gets deer moving. It gets them on their feet. And then, quite honestly, it can trigger that secondary and that third rut or that fourth rut even. It can that a good extended period of cool weather. Cold weather can do that. So a great tip for hunting anywhere in the southeast would be just watch the fronts and get in there on the tail end of a cold front. And when it's so uh, the weather changes, it's a huge. It can be it can pay dividends. Be a huge factor in deer movement. Yeah. Well, staying on the trend of temperature um, down there. See, a lot of time, a lot of people, and I I completely agree with this. A lot of people say the best time to kill a mature buck is the very first week, the very first two weeks of archery season. 
because they're mm-hmm. still kind of in that summer pattern, and they're right a little bit likely to you know pressure and all that other stuff. But sure, with it be you know with Florida being the way it is and being hot, do you that's see right? How long does it usually take for the deer to kind of start showing signs of I guess fall or winter patterns? Again, as you said, trending with temperature, trending with the cooler temperatures. Um, that's why I honestly do not put a lot of stock into our archery season. Honestly, I, I have been religious um, about it over the last probably dozen years or so when I became a hardcore bow hunter. And um, just labor of love, man, just for the pure love of, the, of getting out there and getting in a tree. And then about two hours into it, and you're sweating and you're you know, the mosquitoes are about to touch you off, even running your thermocells, you're going, man, what in the world am I doing in this stand? See, well, the beauty of it next, in the next couple of weeks when we, when we kick off our season is I'm going to be filming Jake. So all I got to do is climb up in the tree above him. He's coming below me in the climber and run a camera and he can, he, you know, it, it's going to be fun to just watch him and maybe have him have an encounter if it's just a doe or whatever, you know. So, um, but yeah, to answer your question, now the cool thing, I will add one thing to another great tip for Florida hunters and Southeast hunters, I think, in general is, um, where we, where we're gonna hunt is a, is a good bit of hardwood timber, and it's very canopied, and it's very shady. So, um, and this is surrounded by a lot of pasture land, this particular block of woods. Now the block of woods is, it's, it's a long, narrow, contiguous piece of, piece of, uh, woods, and, but around it is surrounded by old mine property and pasture. So basically what ends up happening is the deer will move up out of the timber in the evenings and at night and they'll feed up into the, uh, up in the pastures and they'll work their way back down into the woods during the heat of the day. And then obviously mid morning movement was, they're going to still have to eat. You know what I mean? Um, even though they tend to be, I think they, their patterns put them on the back ends of sun, sunrise and sunset, you know what I mean, where they're feeding not very long into the heat of the day, and that's why you're not going to see a lot of movement in the middle of the day like you would love to hunt the rut in a lot of places, and, oh, I'm going to see that big bucket name. Well, in Florida, maybe not be the case. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the cool thing about, you know, again, if you're identifying your what type of land you have, if you've got a good shaded piece of property, um, cypress heads, uh, live oak hammocks, um, any type of big woods that, produce a canopy or throw shade there's a very good chance you're going to have, you're going to see more movement than you would hunting the edge of a cow pasture you know because that's going to be a dusk and a day at a daybreak thing them coming off that pasture maybe coming back into the woods at daybreak or going into the pasture in the evenings or the orange groves that's another good one the deer love to feed in the orange groves in the in the um, evenings so they'll you'll catch them going and coming from orange groves as well and uh look for deer trails and game trails to pattern them but yeah um, finding shade, I think, and in, in, in these cooler temps, as you asked, it, uh, cooler temps is when you really start. Because that early archery season, I've been at it for a long time, and I don't, and I and I've just, we've never seen a whole lot of movement in that early part of the season. It's just so stinking hot. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder sometimes. Uh, I mean, it, it may be, I don't know. It may be less up here as it is in Florida, but I, I don't know. If, it's, well, in the summertime, I don't think I don't think the hot temperatures affect the deer as, as much. Like I think they're kind of used to it. I mean, maybe not so much in Florida, but 
it's like kind of like you said, you know, when you whenever you guys get a cold front, it's like they're just, you know, they love it. And right. Probably a lot more than the deer up here do. But I do think sometimes, it, especially like in Georgia, because it, it, it's kind of a middle ground in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we do get some cold. But That's right. It's mostly hot, but I think I think sometimes the deer get used to it, and we'll. I mean, sometimes because we can hunt sometimes, and it'll be you know mid eighties, and we'll still see deer. And well, you know, sometimes like, I get pictures of deer in the middle of the day, in right? Summer, in early bow season, you know, one o'clock in the day, and then when it's that's the hottest time of day, but right, depends. Different, different locations, well, I guess. And, and I guess my thoughts on that would be is regardless of of the fact that it's really hot and really sunny, um, they still got to eat every four to six yeah. hours. Deer got to yeah. get up and eat. Yeah, they just don't have to, to expend as much energy in the summertime to stay warm, and they don't have to. They don't need as much food to keep warm because they're so hot. So. In my mind, they don't have to eat near as much in the summertime or move, and that's another reason why they don't have to put the calories and keep the calories in in them to keep them warm um, in the summertime as well. So that's another another reason why they do not move or they may not move as much. And again, um, yeah, I mean we get movement in those places, but I love to find them. I I see a lot more activity in places that are a little more shaded and a little more covered than than out in the middle of a pasture that you might see them on a nice cool day or on the edge of a pasture in mid afternoon on a cool day. Um so yeah. There's it's a it's a lot more than um the weather is a lot more of a, a contributing factor to, to movement, especially probably more so even in Florida than, than you are, you know, five hours from me north of me basically. Yeah. Now now you well you guys have way more water than we do. Uh, right. Especially the part where you're at and the part of Florida you're in. Uh and they need they need water more than they need food, and I, a lot of times I think people don't people don't think about that. Right, right. Well, you know, you know, a deer will get about forty percent of its water from the food it eats, so it doesn't have to right. drink. Like, okay. So that said, yeah, Florida with all the the the, the forage that Florida has is, is is so green and so luscious. Um, and very rare do we not have areas that are holding water or that are wetter. So. Um, the water in Florida is not so much of finding where a deer, like a watering hole, so to speak, is what you're meaning, or a creek or something. I think it's more imperative in Florida to use the water to to find uh, travel routes for deer, whether it's a creek or a tributary or whether it's a swamp head that they have to, you know, skirt uh, if they don't want to wade, which they will wade. Again, I don't want to think that a deer ain't going to go get a seat wet, you know what I mean? But but if they can and get, if they do have high ground and can get around that that water, they will, you know. Um, so I, yeah. we use it a lot in Florida as much as, um, finding travel routes as it is finding a particular water hole because water, Florida just has so much more water than most states. Yeah. At any, at any given time. Yeah. Right, right. Well, it's funny, that's funny you said something about, uh, deer wading the water. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen deer swim across rivers. I mean, right. It, it, it really, I mean, sometimes you know we, we'll sit we sit here and we we talk about all this stuff and we're like, oh, deer don't do that. Or, and turkeys, turkeys are another same thing. way. That's right. My, man, my whole entire life I've turkey hunted, 
until you know the last several years i've seen it happen more and more and i don't i don't know why but my whole life i've always oh man that's too thick turkey ain't gonna walk through that he's not gonna he ain't gonna come <laughs> oh so, i've seen i'm telling y'all i have seen turkeys walk through thicker stuff than a deer would want to walk through it's not man oh gosh yeah, it, it seems it, like every year there's something that they do that and that's why i i get i tend to think i'm fairly good at killing turkeys and and um you, you just you hear so many guys that are so uh blind they wear blinders turkeys don't do that that's not what turkeys do and you know what i love it because i can just about counter every story they've ever told that whatever they're saying they won't do i can tell them a story where they've done it and that's why yep. you go into turkey hunting with a more open mind thinking the thinking the unthinkable you'll kill a lot more turkeys absolutely yep. yeah people get blinders on they get professionalized <laughs> you know how fellows are they go out and kill four or five turkeys and they're professionals and they know everything a turkey does and thinks and does and yep and that's just so far from the truth because i've been hunting for 30 years and they school me every year i go out they school me and do things that they're going why in the world would this turkey do this i'll give you an example we're getting off topic here hunting georgia hunting your home state um i had a bird goblin this was late and this was right towards the end of the season um First weekend in May, I believe. I think it wasn't quite the last weekend of the season. And um, had a bird hammering real well and played the game and, and had a feel for this turkey that we were going to slip in and not say a word. And this bird was going to come in on top of us and we was going to die. Many times when I've, when I've put, made that move, when I've had a cover and I've had a bird goblin and he didn't want to close, he hung up on me 150 yards, and then you move to him and then call again, but you're not real close to him. Maybe you're maybe you got a hundred yards from him, and then they 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 you they have like it's like you have a a uh, force field around you, and they just bounce right off that force field, and they go another hundred yards away from you. Many times I'll shut yeah. up completely, and I'll get his. T I mean you're gonna you're gonna bump turkeys, and but but if you can get in there seventy five, sixty, seventy five yards. I mean just I mean well with it, with apex loads and TSS everything going on now, sometimes even in gun range, but cover in georgia in late in early may is usually not going to allow that you know there's going to be a lot of, of foliage on the on the leaves leaves and foliage on the on the trees and the branches and limbs and anyways turkey in georgia we did just that he was playing that force field bump on me and he was just kind of staying off staying off like he'd been pressured which these turkeys had not it was really bizarre but i shut it down and put the sneak on him because i had a creek that i was able to drop down into and we snuck up into within i mean i mean we could hear him drumming and was able to slip up out of the creek, get set up on him, and the moment I yelped, I knew as soon as I yelped, that bird was going to walk around the corner of that creek, and he was smoked. And the moment I yelped, he went quiet, and I yelped again, he went quiet, and about 15 minutes later, I cut really hard, and he gobbled, he was 250 yards away. Uh, <laughs> so, yep, yep. So, just when they, when, you know, you think they're going to do what they're supposed to do, and you're going to get in tight going like that, what does he do? The complete opposite. I'd never believe that bird. And again, these turkeys were not pressured. Not to our knowledge. Now, maybe they had some poachers in there. That happens. You know, that's a whole other conversation. Poachers <laughs> affecting your bird and your deer population, and you not know knowing about it. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah they'll and deer will do the same thing. You know, deer, turkey, any yeah. any wild animal. There's no there's no rule book. They can't read. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They definitely will. Uh, they will definitely surprise you, turkeys and, and deer too. But there's always there's always a chance that anything can happen that's right um, that's why you never give but, up always be positive you know optimistic about it yeah 
because it can change in a second. I mean, a deer hunt can go from – go ahead. It's like, it's like I was t- telling you earlier about uh, last year, turkey hunting. We got on some birds that were across that lake, you know, and we're sitting there listening to these birds gobble, and, you know, they're 800 yards. And But my the guy I was hunting with, he said, man, it'd be funny if they flew across this lake. I said, yeah, but it, it's possible. <laughs> That's know? right. Oh, I've seen them fly the Congaree River in South Carolina. Caught them across the river that's 300 yards. 300 yards across, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Fly the whole river and plop down in front of you and you shoot him. I've seen it happen. It is not, there's nothing. Send them fly swamps. You know, I mean, fly ditches, creeks, ravines, you you name it. From from Oregon and Idaho to New York and to Florida and Texas over and and Mexico. I've been all the way around it. You know, North America, except for, you know, there's no turkeys in Alaska. So, and they, and yeah. all manner of bullcrap you could ever imagine one of them doing, I've probably seen them do it. I ain't lying. Of course, I say that, and then they'll do something even crazier the next season, but, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know we're, we're, we're talking about turkeys, but you got to help. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of hard not to talk about turkeys. Ah, uh, Harry, brother. I appreciate it. Appreciate the uh, gravity. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they, they do do some crazy stuff. That's it. That's it. So yeah, man. I mean, back to the deer thing. We've been slinging arrows all summer. You know, um, I've been teaching Jake and teaching Jake. He's learned how to use a climber, which is a great thing to talk about with kids getting kids involved in archery. I mean, it's been a really, uh, it's been an amazing journey um, with Jake. Jake started with one of those little twenty-five dollar bear bows at Walmart for the kids, and he shot, learned to shoot instinctive, and um, and that was five years old, like about seven years ago. And I've kept him interested. He's remained interested enough and um, in wanting to hunt with a bow. And, you know, he's killed half a dozen, eight deer, something like that now with a rifle. And he's uh, and during the summer, we do it for fun. You know, we we make it fun. We put balloons yep. on the targets. We put rich crackers on the target. We shoot numerous targets in different angles and walk around with a rangefinder and shoot the targets. And, and you know, he's he's known all along when he got up to around 45 pounds or so, he'd be able to deer hunt with me, and I'd start, you know, we'd start going to the woods for deer with a bow. And um, now at this point in the game, I mean, he's not killed 100 deer, but he's killed enough with a rifle. He's ready, and he is charged up to get in a tree and bow hunt, and I couldn't be any more happy than that because, you know, deer, any kind of hunt is wonderful. Being in the woods, fellowship, family, friends, it's all great, but my gosh, there is a heck of a rush that involves slinging an arrow through a deer and making that shot count and seeing all that hard work and all that practice pay off. And um, there's nothing more satisfying than, than other than calling in a gobbler to me. There's nothing more satisfying than shooting a, a white-tailed doe, big buck, little buck. I don't care what, how big the buck is. It's all about making that arrow, finding, hit its mark, making a clean ethical kill, a good blood trail, finding your deer, and knowing what it took and what it went into that hunt because it ain't like sitting hunting a corn pile with a seven mag. I mean, I'm not knocking it. I've done it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but it's just not yeah. the same as doing that. I mean, you see the deer walk out yeah. and yeah, it's a totally different ball game. And it's, it's, it's very self-satisfying. And I've instilled that into Jake and he's, he's seen it. He's seen video of me. He's seen what I do and he's seen some of the hunts I've videoed. And he's like, man, daddy, I cannot wait till I'm big enough and strong enough to do that. And, um, He's got a mission craze, which he'll be able to grow right on into up into his, you know, till he gets way bigger and way stronger, and then we may move him up. But that bow is 30-inch draw length and 70 pounds. 
So there's, if you know, you can a grown man can shoot a Mission Grace. It's a great little bow for a kid, and you don't even need a bow press to change the cams, you, you know, to change the draw length. Excuse me, you that. just you pull the Allen out and slide the camera around. It's a, it's an amazing concept. Beautiful little bow. Yeah, a beautiful little bow. So yeah, that makes some pretty good bows. Yeah, man, I'm very pleased with this one. And so yeah, I guess I mean we kind of switched gears again, huh? Oh no, you're fine. It's fine, man. That's what I was gonna say. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say something else, and I know I keep mentioning something about turkeys, but I mean it's called the Stress Out Podcast. So (laughs) (laughs) no worries, brother. Tell you that Jake, Jake, man, he he's gonna be something else. Uh, People need to be looking out for him. You give him another five, maybe six years, he's gonna be he's gonna be nasty on stage. Yeah, if he gets after it though, I don't. He's uh, he won the Polts Grand National, and what year was it? What year are we in? Eighteen. He won it yeah. in seventeen. He won the Polts in seventeen. Then he moved up to the juniors, and um, now he's starting to discover girls, and he's starting to discover oh, yeah. bow hunting and. So I don't know if he'll ever pursue it like old Pops did, but uh, he's got me there if he wants to ever do it. And I and I hope that he gets a little more serious about it at some point in time, but I don't know that he is. But what I do know is he yeah. has hunting bred and born into him, and he'd rather be in the woods than any other place, period. And that's all I could ever ask for is I've got a hunting partner for life. So the turkey calling is just a side thing, you know. I mean, he, he was it was obvious he was going to follow – and Daddy's footsteps to some degree, you would think, and he and he has, but um, but yeah, I don't know, you know, he's better than most men on a mouth call now. And he don't even practice; he just doesn't practice. And but he knows well enough to know that these kids, the Presley kids, and some of these others that are up and comers, they're 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 way better than he is right now, and he knows that. And and I and I actually commend him for just saying, Dad, I'm not going to call. I don't want to go up there and get beat. I'm not. My game is not where it needs to be. So. He's, you know, he's decided to back off of it. But don't think that that don't mean he don't want to snap one's neck in a heartbeat and call one in, which which he did this year. Incidentally, called in his uh, first two turkeys this year on his own. Now, this was like his 12th and 13th gobbler, including a grand slam in a single season. But these an Eastern and Osceola he killed this year. One, I'm sorry, two Osceolas he called in. I helped him with the, the, the Eastern he killed in North Carolina. Um, he killed three this year. And uh, two of them in Florida he called on his own. Um, and that was the whole goal, and it's going to be on Hunt Quest era in this season. So you can check it out. Season two is going to be exclusively on YouTube. I've opted to go away from Carbon TV on the uh, second episode. Just uh, a whole other set of rules to play by and then a lot more work, honestly. And I just wanted to offer my show exclusively to YouTube, and it's just easier accessibility to YouTube. So people just – they have the app on their phone, and it's at their fingertips. So, hey, guys, check out the show on Hunt Quest on YouTube. Sorry, I'm plugging right now, but <laughs> but I think you'll enjoy it if you like good old. Huh? I was I was gonna tell you to get a plug in at the end anyway, so it's good. Oh, I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, I take a lot of pride in what I'm doing. I think people that we we do a lot of public ground hunting, we do some private land hunting. Um, it, it's a lot of Jake and I together. It's it's usually always me and friends or some type of family member, and um, and it's just you've watched the show. You seem to enjoy it quite a bit. You can attest for it. I yeah. think. Um, it's just good, clean hunting and telling a story about going on a hunt with somebody. It's not. It's not. I hate to use the cliche that that Primos used, but it ain't Hollywood. I mean, it's. I think I yeah. tend to think I'm decent, a decent editor, 
but it's more so just telling a compelling story that you can follow along with and feel like you're there with us. Um, and that's the whole premise of my show. It's not graphics and CG and all that mess. It's uh, it's just about telling a good story about going hunting and, and coming along on the adventure with somebody. And that, to me, is compelling. So check it out at any rate. Yeah. I'll, I'll quit talking about it. <laughs> oh, no, you can talk about deer hunting I, and archery hunting. Uh, I like the show. It, it's, it's, re- it's real. It just feels real when you watch it. And uh, I that's, that's, what we, that's what we try to do too. We that's what we want to portray that same thing. You know, we don't want it, we want it to be. We want to show the reality of what hunting is, and it's and that's what I was gonna say too. You know, it's not just like you you were you were kind of touching on it earlier. It's it's not about you know what you shoot or how big of a deer, how big of a turkey. It's it's just getting out there and having fun and doing it and being in that. It's the quest, man. Yeah, it's the quest. Yeah. This is why I name my show Hunt Quest. I mean, yeah, we like to yep. kill stuff. Who don't? I mean, that's the end game. You're out there to kill something. I get it. Yeah. We're humans. We're hunters. We're the apex predator. But it's not the end game. That's that's not the end game. That's not that, – let me rephrase that. That is not what makes a hunt successful is killing an animal. Right. What makes a hunt right. successful to me is making a fond memory. And I do that every time yeah. I set foot in the woods, every single time. There's so many – I'm getting so old and there's so many memories, I forget about them. And then I'll see a picture of something in a scrapbook and go, oh, my gosh, I completely forgot about it. And, it, and a memory comes flooding back in. And that's why, you know, a, a cool tip about people, there's so many people out videoing their hunts. And, you know, some people may have some success, some may not. But do as much documenting your hunts as you can. You'd be surprised how much you'll get to go back one day, whether it's some successful hunting show or if it's just digital photos of the of the harvest and the, and the hunt while it's happening and being in the field with loved ones and your kids and your friends, try to take those take that cell phone out. And you know, people get all you know been out of shape about social media and, and cell phones in the woods. But I'm telling you what, man, document those hunts and have memories of those hunts you can relive. Because that's one thing. I mean, think about it like this, my friend. I got Jake's first Bucky ever killed on camera. It's going to air on Hunt Quest. I don't know, second or third episode. But I have that video forever at 11 years yep. old. In 20 years, we'll be able to go back and look at Jake kill his very first buck on video. I'm not saying you have to run out with a video camera, but just just document those hunts as best you can. You know, Take pictures, take video if you want to. And It's always fun to go back and relive those moments, those memories, man. It is, it is priceless. Yeah, I know a lot of times we, we'll we'll sit there and we'll, we'll have all kind of footage and most of it is footage that we're not even going to use and we'll we'll sit there and watch all of it and I mean we'll just sit there and laugh our tails off and oh absolutely it's it's awesome man to go back and watch because a lot of times like you said you you'll forget about it and it sometimes it'll be something that happened like last year and you go back and watch it and it's just it's my, it's, that's what it's about. It's about memories. That's it. Oh man, I've got I've got paper pictures of me squirrel hunting as a kid with my dad, and my uncle, and dove hunting and duck hunting and turkeys and deer. And um um, I, I got little scrapbooks that I can dig back through, and I go back and I relive those moments. Um, and you just you just can't remember it all, but when you see that picture. You know, I was already starting to do this as a kid. Is what I'm saying, I, I had a, I had one of those little cameras that you could load the cartridge film in. It was just a eight dollar, ten dollar thing you got out of a Happy Meal or something, <laughs> legit. And you put yeah. a, one of the one ten cartridges in it. There was a one twenty six cartridge, 
and I believe a 110 cartridge. And the 110 was a skinny one. And this little old piece of junk, $10 camera that looked like it came out of a Cracker Jack box, you'd put the cartridge in, it would have like 24 or 36 exposures, and you could buy 400 film for more inside, you could get 200 for more outside. And I was taking pictures like that um, as a kid. So I have so many memories and to, to fall back on. And now that, you know, now that cameras and cell phones and everything takes such great video and, you know, there's so many people, they're filming their hunts on their video cameras, on their cell phones. And you know what? There's the cloud for that, and you can almost have that video forever. And um, all I know is I've got one heck of a digital library that I'll be able to look back on. I mean, literally, my son from birth to now has been on video and on digital video. Yeah. And uh, some of it was on some of the high eight tapes and stuff, you know, about 10 years ago because he's 12 now. But um, And that is priceless. So, anyway, uh, we've, got, we've touched about on everything there is to touch on, I think, turkey hunting, calling, food sources. <laughs> the Florida oh, yeah, hunting, I mean, Georgia hunting, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm pretty. I think I'm pretty pleased with what we've talked about. Uh, so yeah, I guess, <laughs> we can, I guess we can go ahead and wrap it up. And uh, I was gonna say let you get a plug in, but yeah, uh, well, where can where can everybody go to to check you out? Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Um, I'm on Instagram. You can find me there at Scott underscore C underscore Ellis. Um, I've got Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis uh, as a fan page, business page, if you will, on Facebook. Um, I've got a website, scottellishunting.com, um, where you can purchase Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, and those are my mouth calling DVDs that have been pretty darn successful for a lot of folks over the last seven, eight years. Um, I have a new app out now called Turkey Tech, which is available on the Google Play Store and the iStore, the App Store, I'm sorry, App Store and Google Play. And it's a 4.99 app, and it's got. Um, I'm really, really proud. Um, it's got video of me running friction and friction meaning pot calls, pot calls and and mouth calls, with instructionals for each of the calls. There's about eight different calls we go over: fly down cackle, cut, cutting, cluck and purr, excited yelping, plain yelping. Um, the wine, no, the wine's not on there. I don't think um, assembly yelping. I don't think Kiki runs on there because we didn't touch on the fall. But anyways, it's got video instruction of me producing the calls. It's got audio of me giving the calls, and it's got audio of Wild Turkey's giving the call. Um, then it's got a recorder that will allow you to play it or record it and then play it back with the Wild Turkeys or with my calling, whichever. I mean, I, I'd, I'd, the Turkeys was what I'd play it against before I'd play it against my calling. But I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a decent baseline to, to – for people to you know to kind of get if it sounds something like what I'm doing, I guess they're doing all right. But and then and then it has actually has tips that are written that explain the call when turkeys make the call in the wild and when you as a hunter should use it. So it is literally, um, I'm so proud of the project. I mean, a guy that has no clue about turkey hunting can spend about a, buy this app for five bucks and spend about a week with it, and the cat can go to the woods and legitimately have a really good shot a legitimate shot at killing a turkey and calling one up even if he didn't learn the mouth call in a week if he just learned it on the pot call because any because you can pick up a pot call and call a turkey up with it within you know i've taught people in 20 minutes to yelp and cluck you know what i mean the mouth call a little bit more detail there's a little more of a learning a steeper learning curve there but um but that but the, the instruction is there as well um so I, i'm rambling on enough about it i'm just really proud it had a we really did had a good First year of it, um, still trying to get the word out because 
you know, you think people hear of a product and know that something's out there and they really have no clue. They just, it doesn't reach everybody. So maybe we reach a couple yeah. of people today that can learn about Turkey Tech and check it out. But well, I'm and that's about it, brother. It, I mean, it is it, it is an awesome app. I, I've got it, and uh, it's it's definitely a great tool to have because it's just all you've got pretty much every every just about I would say eighty five to ninety percent of everything you need to at least learn the basics or to at yes, least sir. be somewhat productive. It's all right there in one app. And, and it's all yes, right in one place. Um, I, I, we, we are looking at maybe this summer, before the summer's up, doing some situational stuff that gives the, the user, the, the, the newbie, the greenhorn that's learning, a little more on setup um, and locator calls. And then um, – yeah, the thing outside of that is, is patterning your shotgun and just learning about your weapon a little bit more. It's about the only other thing it doesn't really talk about. But there's no anything about, you know, patterning your shotgun, but that, that kind of information is pretty readily available. Um, but, yeah, we were talking about doing more situational stuff with setups. But there are setups mentioned throughout the tips as well. You know, what you do right off the roost, what you, you know, with a tree call, and then you do a fly-down cackle. Or if it's midday, I mean, there's a lot of comparatives to the time of day and what type of setup that you would use for so uh, for that particular call, so it's all as you know, it's it's all right there. It's it's a great. It's not it's not gimmicky. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff out there in this world that 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 preach the shortcut that make you know just do this and you can be ripped and lose 200 pounds and live bench press 400 pounds. You know, take this pill and you can become Superman. Whatever, you know what I mean. And um, but but this thing is truly yeah, got the information. No, no, there's no shortcuts, but this thing does offer a guy that has no clue about turkey hunting, or even a guy that's an intermediate turkey hunter. To me, the the tools are there, the information that it's all there to truly help him in a in a okay. shortened period of time learn a lot more than he would learn stumbling yeah. around on his own in the woods. Is what I'm trying to say. Yep. Oh yeah. So well. well. But I, I've had a blast, man. I've, hopefully, we've covered some topics that's helped some people. Maybe got a chuckle out of our stories. <laughs> but uh, I really, yeah. I really appreciate you having me on board, brother. And it's been a blast. And look forward to hearing from you soon. We'll have to do another one of these all about turkey, maybe around February. Oh, yeah. Give me a holler, man. We'll do one of these and talk nothing but turkey. And I'm sure people will like that, maybe. <laughs> I'm, sure we, I'm sure we will do that. <laughs> <laughs>